Just a quick announcement before starting the show. This week marks the one-year anniversary of Bizarre Albums, and to celebrate, I've posted a video version of the very first episode, which was on the Wrestling Album from 1985, and it's over on YouTube. So be sure to be subscribed to the show's YouTube channel, youtube.com slash bizarrealbums. Thank you for a great first year that has completely surpassed my expectations. Now, take it away, me. Hi, my name is Tony Thaxton. Like anyone else, I love a great album. But I also love those strange albums that might make you wonder how and why they even exist. But I'm not here to make fun of them. I'm here to celebrate them and tell their story. This is Bizarre Albums. Today's episode, The Globetrotters, from 1970. That, of course, is Sugar Sugar, the number one song of 1969 in both the U.S. and the U.K. And as regular listeners of Bizarre Albums probably know, it was performed by a band made up of cartoon characters, the Archies. The fourth ever episode of Bizarre Albums covered the debut album of the Archies, and if you haven't heard that one, I recommend going back and listening to that episode to get the full story of where this episode is headed. I'll just touch on a little bit of it to recap some bullet points here. The Archies were a band that came from The Archie Show, a 1968 animated series based on Archie comics. In reality, the Archies were made up of session musicians and put together by Don Kirshner. Time magazine once called Don Kirshner the man with the golden ear. Between 1966 and 1977, Don Kirshner worked as the music consultant or music supervisor for around two dozen TV series. After Sugar Sugar had become such a huge hit, several Saturday morning cartoons started featuring fictional bands or would heavily feature music. One of these began in 1970 from animation studio Hanna-Barbera. But this cartoon was based on real people. And not musicians, but athletes. Harlem Globetrotters are an exhibition basketball team that started way back in 1926 on the south side of Chicago. The Globetrotters were originally known as the Savoy Big Five, a team of black basketball players playing exhibition games before dances due to the declining dance attendance at the Savoy Ballroom. In 1928, a dispute led to several players leaving the team. Then in the fall, those players formed a new team called the Globetrotters and toured southern Illinois. Abe Saperstein then became involved with the team as its manager, promoter, and coach. In 1929, Saperstein began calling the team the New York Harlem Globetrotters. He said he chose Harlem, a place where they didn't even play until 1968, because it was considered the center of black American culture, and then used Globetrotter to mythologize the team's international appeal. For two decades, the Globetrotters toured the U.S. winning over and over again. That's when the players first started clowning around to make the games more interesting. It was a move they credited to Reese Goose Tatum, who joined the Globetrotters in 1941. They would eventually become known more for entertainment than sports. The Globetrotters were easily winning game after game. 
Because of the segregation in professional basketball, the team had all of the best black basketball players in the U.S. In 1950, Chuck Cooper had just graduated from Duquesne University and signed with the Globetrotters. But on April 25th of 1950, something happened that would change professional basketball forever. Here's Chuck Cooper III talking about his father in a video for the Chuck Cooper Foundation. The, the Celtics were change agents. They, they, they played a, an extraordinary role uh, back in 1950. And um, Walter Brown's turn to pick, it was the 14th pick of the second round in 1950. And Walter Brown said, I'll take Charles Cooper out of Duquesne University. And one of the other owners said, you can't take him as colored. And Mr. Brown said, I don't give a damn if he's striked, poked out of play it. Boston takes Charles Cooper out of Duquesne University because he's the best player available to help our franchise. While this was huge for black players and the NBA, it did somewhat hurt the popularity of the Globetrotters. But not enough to stop them from having a 1951 film featuring the team. Simply called the Harlem Globetrotters, the film even got a sequel in 1954 called Go Man Go, and it starred Sidney Poitier. You mean all that greatest team idea wasn't for us? was for Abe Sapestein. He couldn't put himself over this way. He's going to try it first class in Detroit. Who said I was going to Detroit? You will. You can't quit the game. Detroit has nothing to do with it. When you do, Abe, you'll be looking for some good men to build a great team there. With television becoming more and more popular throughout the 1950s, the team made an appearance on the game show What's My Line in 1956. Is it a professional basketball team? Yes. Did you play tonight? Yes. Uh, are you famous for all kinds of fancy dribbling and trick shots? Yes. You're the Globetrotters? Right! Yes. Saturday mornings in the early days of television always featured lots of children's programming. In the mid-1960s, the TV networks realized that they could concentrate children's programming on that one morning to appeal to advertisers. Animated shows were very economical for the networks to produce enough programming to fill the four-hour time slot. The mid-60s first saw a boom in superhero cartoons, some adapted from comic books like Aquaman, or should I say Aquaman, Aquaman, swift and powerful monarch of the oceans, while others were created just for television, like Space Ghost. Attention, this is Space Ghost. Surrender your arms and release your prisoners. Another development around this time was popular music-based cartoons, sometimes based on real-life groups like the Beatles. Hold it! Hold it! George, you're two beats off! Well, what you expect with his blinking nipper sitting in my lap? As well as anonymous studio musicians and made-for-TV fictitious bands like the Archies. Everything's Archie! And all of this gave someone at Hanna-Barbera an idea. Hanna-Barbera was the animation studio behind shows like The Flintstones, The Jetsons, Yogi Bear, and Scooby-Doo. As the 70s arrived, so did Hanna-Barbera's Harlem Globetrotters cartoon. Simply called Harlem Globetrotters, the series debuted on September 12, 1970, on CBS. It's time, ladies and gentlemen, for the big game between the City All-Stars and the world-famous Globetrotters. I see the Globetrotters have a new member on their team, a kangaroo. <laughs> what do they think of next? Meadowlark Lemon at center is ready to tip off. And there's the jump. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. 
Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG-13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. The show featured real-life globetrotters Freddie Curly Neal, Hubert Geese Osby, J.C. Gip Gibson, Bobby Joe Mason, Paul Pablo Robertson, and Meadowlark Lemon. Though none of them provided their own voices, they were all done by voice actors. Along with the team was their fictitious bus driver and manager, Granny, and their dog mascot named Dribbles. <laughs> What's the matter with him? Probably fleas. The series was the first Saturday morning cartoon to feature a predominantly black cast. Another Hanna-Barbera series that debuted the same day, Josie and the Pussycats, was the first to feature a black female character. The Harlem Globetrotters animated series would usually have the team traveling somewhere, getting involved in a local conflict that leads to them proposing a basketball game to settle the issue. The basketball game sequences would be set to original music, music that was under the supervision of Don Kirshner. So having the man with the golden ear involved a soundtrack album would be released. In 1970, The Globetrotters was released on Kirshner Records. And now, the Harlem Globetrotters on Gilligan's Island. The album opens with the Globetrotters theme. Not Sweet Georgia Brown, the song usually associated with the team. This is literally just called the Globetrotters theme, and it was used for the opening and the closing of the animated show. The theme song was written by the album's producer, Jeff Barry who was also the producer behind the Archies alongside Don Kirshner. The Brill Building was a place in New York City that housed music industry offices and studios. It's considered to have been the center of the American music industry that dominated the pop charts in the early 1960s. Songwriters who worked out of the Brill Building included Burt Bacharach, Carol King, Neil Diamond, Howard Greenfield, and Neil Sedaka. Greenfield and Sedaka often worked together, including the 1962 number one hit that Sedaka performed, Breaking Up Is Hard To Do. If you go, then I'll be Here, Greenfield and Sadaka team up for Bouncing All Over the World, which is very reminiscent of the Jackson 5's number one hit from the year prior, I Want You Back. And side note, in 1971, the Jackson 5 would also end up getting their own Saturday morning cartoon series. Sadaka and Greenfield composed six of the album's 11 tracks, including one of the album's singles, Rainy Day Bells. Sadaka had recorded the song himself, but had little success. They thought the song still had potential. Though the Globetrotters' version also failed to reach the charts, in the years that followed, the song became popular on the Carolina Beach music scene, and it's been one of the genre's most popular songs over the last 40 years. 
In an interview with ReBeatMag.com, Meadowlark Lemon of the Globetrotters said of the song, quote, It's amazing to me that it's still so big in the Carolinas. Even though Neil Sedaka did the song before we did, his version didn't catch on like ours. Now why? I have no idea. But I realize that our version is still a hit up and down the East Coast. People talk to me about it all the time. It's unbelievable. End quote. Another songwriting team who provided three songs for this record are Rudy Clark, J.R. Bailey, and Ken Williams. Eight years before the Globetrotters, Rudy Clark wrote a song that was originally recorded by James Ray. The song was mostly ignored, but then in 1987, that single became a number one hit in 18 different countries when it was covered by George Harrison. I got my mind set on you. I got my mind set on Clark's co-writers for this record, J.R. Bailey and Ken Williams, are perhaps best known for co-writing the 1972 gold single Everybody Plays the Fool by The Main Ingredient, a song that was sung by Cuba Gooding Sr. For their first track on the Globetrotters, they co-wrote Sneaky Pete. Along with session singers Sammy Turner and Robert Spencer, Clark, Bailey, and Williams also provided uncredited vocals on the album. None of the musicians on the album are credited either, and I cannot find any information on that anywhere. But here's a bit of another track that Clark, Bailey, and Williams co-wrote, Lilia Peabody. Watch out for Lilia Peabody. Speaking of singers, Ron Dante, the man who provided the uncredited singing voice of the Archies, doesn't sing on this album, but he did co-write one song on the album, along with Jamie Carr and Jeff Barry. Here's Cheer Me Up. Cheer me up, cheer me up, you make life a pleasure, what you work is hard to measure, I 
Much like their voices on the cartoon, the real Globetrotters didn't provide their own singing either. Though one of them did provide a few backing vocals, Meadowlark Lemon. He's also the one player that has a song about him on the record. And it's another Sadaka and Greenfield song, Meadowlark. By the way, the voice of Metalark Lemon on the cartoon was provided by Scatman Crothers, a prolific voice actor, but perhaps best known for his role as Dick Halloran in The Shining. Do you know how I knew your name was Doc? The album never charted, but it's gotten some reissues over the years, and it's currently celebrating its 50th anniversary. And it seems like it perhaps sparked some interest in singing from Meadowlark Lemon. In 1979, he would release an album himself, this time actually providing his own singing on an album he released titled My Kids. But that is for another time. Thank you for listening to Bizarre Albums. If you like the show, please subscribe and leave a review. It helps people find the show. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at Bizarre Albums, and I'm at Tony Thaxton. You can also like Bizarre Albums on Facebook and visit BizarreAlbums.com. And if you still want more Bizarre Albums in your life, sign up for weekly bonus episodes of Bizarre Singles and more at Patreon.com slash Bizarre Albums. And as always, if you know of a Bizarre Album you'd like to hear featured, please tweet the show. I'd love to hear from you. You can even email me at bizarrealbums at gmail.com. My name is Tony Thaxton, and I'll see you next time on Bizarre Albums. Bizarre Albums.